Well, let's jump into today's, today's message. If you have your Bibles, I want you to go and open to John chapter 11. We are talking about face-to-face. And we're talking, what does it mean when you come face-to-face with Jesus, who we believe is really God, that he walked among us. And then when people that came face-to-face with him, ordinary, everyday people, not superstars, not people that, that deserved it, not people that had earned it in some way, but everyday people, broken people, came face-to-face with Jesus. There was something that changed. Well, today, we're going to take a little different tone today. And so I'm just going to be heads up with the beginning. Today, we're going to talk about what is nobody's favorite subject, and that's death. Because Jesus faces a man today named Lazarus. And what I'm going to go ahead and tell you right now is it's not Lazarus that comes face to face with Jesus, but it's death itself. Growing up, back when there was a thing called network TV, there was commercials on this TV. And if you're familiar with the old product, um, Raid, the bug spray, Raid had a, had a roach killer that they advertised with a unique slogan. And if you recall that, I'll start Raid, we kill roaches dead. Now, as a kid, that always confused me, because is there another way to kill them? I don't think we're just trying to pacify the roaches and negotiate with them. But the point is that said they want you to know that when you use our spray, it kills them dead. Dead things do not come back. They were stating what we all know. They were stating what we've known throughout time, throughout history. Dead things stay dead. And that's why death is such a struggle for us. Because it seems like all the power is in death's hands, doesn't it? It's one that does funerals. I realize that at any funeral that I do, there's more than one preacher. There's always two. And there's whatever message I'm attempting to bring, and then there's the message that death brings. And in the middle of the funeral, I'm very much aware that all of the evidence, all of what you can see, feel, and touch, is on death's side. Oftentimes, there's the loved one, and their remains, the, the body or the cremation is there. And there's the family that's in mourning. And oftentimes, we're dressed up in dark clothing and suits or dresses that feel awkward. And there's crying and there's weeping. And death says, this is what I'm capable of. And we try to bring a message into that, but again, all the evidence is on death's side, isn't it? And so today, I want us to go into this place in the Gospel of John where it recounts a story in the life of Jesus. And once again, I believe with all of my heart and what we believe at this church is that these stories actually happened. Now, we may use the word story, but this is an account. This is an account of what actually occurred. And so in John chapter 11, we find this incredibly fascinating story. This incredibly fascinating account. And I'm going to start in verse 1, and we're going to work our way through a lot of chapter 11. I'm going to skip around a couple of points, but I want you to have your Bibles open, your app open, 
because there's some things that I'm going to want you to circle. There's some things I want you to pay attention to. And I, my hope is that, that after this message, you'll wrestle with some of these things because I think they're going to be life-changing. John, one, John 11 one begins this way. Now a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. And it's referencing a different account that the Gospel of John notes. So the sisters, okay, so Lazarus is sick. We've got three siblings, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, and the brother Lazarus, he's sick. And so the sisters do what you and I would do in that moment. We sin for Jesus. They have seen Jesus heal other people. That they are, they've, they're aware at this point that there is something about him that the wind and the waves obey him and even disease obeys him. The blind can see, the lame have walked. Go get Jesus. And so they send for Jesus. So the sister sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. When Jesus heard this, Jesus said, the sickness will not end in death. And that's exactly what you want to hear. That's the kind of confidence you want. No, it is for God's glory so that God's Son may be glorified through it. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. Now, don't read ahead just a second. Jesus loved Martha, her sister Mary, and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he immediately teleported himself into the scene and healed him. Right? He blinked his eyes twice and showed up. He used his superpowers. It it doesn't say any of that. This is a striking sentence. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. Just for a moment, hold out, hang out there. Mary and Martha are worried to death about their brother. Because he's sick. And he's not getting better. And they know they're on a clock. And they send word, a desperate plea, a prayer, if you would, go find Jesus. They find Jesus in what we can only assume was plenty of time. And John is very careful to tell us Jesus loved this people. This is not somebody that is on the fringe that that you or I may, may not pay attention to. This is somebody that if anybody is going to get Jesus' attention, so we think it's going to be this. And he goes... And these messengers, we don't know who the messengers are, but they come, they tell Jesus the situation. He's aware of the situation. He acknowledges the situation. And he says to them, I'm going to hang out here a couple more days. Can you imagine what those messengers did? What's the message, Jesus? I'm going to take my time. But he's really sick, Jesus. Yeah, give me a couple days. You want me to go back and tell Mary, Martha... That you're just going to hang out for a while. Yes. And so he goes back and he takes the messenger that we know, takes that message back. And Jesus delays his coming. 
Pick it up in verse 14. Jesus is now talking directly to his disciples. And he's laying out for them. And he had already just told them, he said, he said, Lazarus is just asleep. Because they're like, do we need to go? Do we need to go? And he's like, Lazarus is just asleep. I'm like, oh, well, if he's asleep, then we don't need to run, do anything. Because that could be a little dangerous for you right now, Jesus. And so Jesus says very plainly, Lazarus is dead. So then he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead, and for your sake, I'm glad I was not there. What? So that you may believe, but let us go to him. Jesus just reveals the reason that he delayed. In this desperate moment, Jesus actually holds back and delays and allows Lazarus to die. And then, as the disciples are questioning this and trying to figure out, we know you love him, why didn't you go? We've seen you do powerful things before. You could have saved him. You could have healed him, Jesus. He says, I did it for your sake. That you may believe. Jesus is about to reveal something to them. And here's the first thing that I want to give you a word of encouragement in. Because this may describe where you are right now. You may be in a season... And Jesus has delayed and delayed and delayed. And you've prayed and prayed and prayed. And Jesus has delayed. You may be in a season where God is revealing something to you. But you wouldn't see it if he submitted to your schedule. Jesus is revealing something in your life. But if he just took away whatever the struggle, whatever the burden, whatever the suffering is. If he took it away, you wouldn't see what is about to be revealed. And you would have no idea what God is about to show you. And so he allows Lazarus to die. He allows this heartache to roll across this family. He allows these disciples who also are familiar with them to experience this grief and this shock. Because he's going to reveal something to them. And if that describes your situation right now, if that describes your world, I just want you to know that that Jesus is at work. He hasn't abandoned you. And there could be something that he's about to reveal to you in the midst of it. But it just cannot be on our schedule because we'd miss it. So Jesus heads to the town. Heads to where Lazarus is. And I'm going to pick up in verse 21. And when he approaches the town, the first sister Martha comes running out. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. If you had been here. You had those moments? If you had. Or maybe they're better described, only if. Only if you'd been here, Jesus. If only you had done something. If you would have showed up earlier, you could have done something. Where were you? We prayed, we called, we sent for you. Why did you allow this to end in death? Do you have those if-only moments? Have you had that kind of conversation with God? If only you had done something, God, the marriage could have been saved. If only you would have intervened, my child wouldn't have suffered. If only you had given me the job, God, 
the finances didn't have to come crashing. If only you'd allowed the deal to come through, the business could have been spared. If only, if only, if only, I'm going to just suggest they're two of the most desperate words that we have in the English language. If only, God, you had taken the addiction from me, I wouldn't have blown up my family. If only my parent could have found a way to deal with their stresses, anxiety, and mental health situation, Father, my life could have been different. If only you had shown up. This is where Martha is. This, is, this describes her very moment. And now she doesn't even wait till Jesus gets inside town. He's still outside the town. She runs out to him. She falls at his feet and says, If only you had done something, Lord. And in the middle of that is why. Why did you let me alone? Picking up again. Verse 22. Jesus, Martha continues, But I know that even now God will give you whatever it is that you ask. Jesus said to her, Your brother will rise again, Martha. I know he will rise again in the resurrection of the last day. Now, she doesn't understand what Jesus is talking about. Because once again, dead is dead. Dead things stay dead. And so she thinks Jesus is making kind of a devotional thought. That there's a day coming at the very end when everything's going to be made right. And Jesus says, I said to her, or Jesus says to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And if you're underlining, if you're highlighting, I want you to circle those verses. Verse 25, I am the resurrection and life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Martha says, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, the one who's come into the world. Jump to verse 32. Martha runs back, Mary comes out. So Jesus is now having a very emotional time with one sister, and now the other sister comes out. Remember, the ones that had prayed for him to do something. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet. And there it is again. Lord, if you had... Only if, if you would have shown up, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. You see, he was deeply moved. What's, what's Jesus seeing at this moment? He's seeing all the evidence that convinces us that death has the last word. He, he has seen everything that tells us that death has finality to it. That death cannot be overcome. And he's broken because he knows, he knows from his perspective of being the one at creation that created it all, that it was never intended to be this way. The curse was never designed to come. Decay was not part of God's plan. And so he's deeply moved in this moment. And they say, where have you laid him, he asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. Let's go to the graveyard now. And then this verse says, Jesus wept. 
And the Jew said, see, see how he loved him. Jesus makes some incredible statements to this party. He, he knows that this is not what God intended. He knows that death was never intended to be part of the plan. And now it looks like death gets the final word, gets the only word. It's the only thing you can be confident in. And in the middle of that, he says, no, no, no. I am the resurrection and the life. Now, he is making an incredibly deep statement there. And we need to spend just a few moments on that statement. Jesus is declaring who he is and why he came. And what he's doing is he is beginning to show the separation between those things that have always been linked together. Sin and death are, are linked together. It is this way throughout all of Scripture. When you go into the garden, and at the very beginning in the Garden of Eden, there's Adam and there's Eve. The whole promise is, if you will stay connected to God, God is the source of life. The consequence for rebelling against God is that death enters the picture. Now, we always see that as very, as very much as a punishment. I don't think that God is saying, if you disobey me, your punishment is death. He's saying what is absolutely just true as a matter of fact. He's saying that when you separate yourself from me, and that's what sin does, when you separate yourself from me, you expose yourself to death because you're now cut off from the source of life. This is why that famous passage that we always quote, the wage of sin is death. See, if you understand wages, it doesn't say the punishment of sin is death. It says the wages of sin. Okay? The idea is that, that there's a source from which you're receiving something, and if you choose sin to be your source, what it pays out is it pays out in death. God pays out in life. And so Jesus, very much aware of this connection between sin and death, and we deal with all the, the junk that sin brings, and all the decay that sin brings, and all the injustice, and all the lack of mercy, and all the bitterness, and all the brokenness. And what Jesus says is, I've got to address the source of the problem, not just the symptoms of the problem. And so Jesus backs all the way up, and he takes on sin on the cross... And then here's the incredible thing. When he takes on sin and he restores the right connection, Jesus does this unbelievable thing. Jesus came to put death to death. Jesus ends death's power. The moment on the cross looked like death's greatest victory, and it became the moment of death's worst defeat and our greatest victory. I love the way my friend and fellow preacher puts it, Rick Ashley. The scoreboard no longer reads that death has a perfect record because there is one that the grave could not hold. Jesus deals with the sin problem and restores us in a connection to the source of life. This is why it says, I am the resurrection, I am the life. 
I'm bridging the gap that was created when we rebelled against God and sin entered the world. And he doesn't deal with it just on your personal level and my personal level and try to fix the symptoms. He goes all the way back to the source of the problem and connects us back into the, gospel, into the, the one that is the source of life. This is the gospel message. This is the good news. But we still live in a world where we think death gets the final word. But Jesus can look death in the face and tell it to shut up. And here's where he does that right now. Verse 38. Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there's a bad odor. He's been there for four days. Jesus, we appreciate you, but you were late. And now decay has set in. Once again, all the evidence looks like it belongs to death. Then Jesus said, Did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? Now he's about to reveal. So they took the stone away. You can only imagine just the tension in this moment (laughs) as people are sitting around going, I have no idea what's about to happen. And they roll the stone away. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you've heard me. I knew that you always hear me. He's having a prayer. But I said this for the benefit of the people standing here that, you may be, that they may believe that you sent me. So Jesus is actually praying out loud so that everybody else hears him so that they know that he is tied right into his heavenly father. That's where he's going. When he said this, Jesus called out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And I believe that he called him by name so that everybody else that was there didn't come back from the dead. Because when Jesus speaks, death has to pay attention. <laughs> Look at this, verse 44. The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and cloth around his face. Jesus said to them, Take off the grave clothes and let him go. Jesus has the final and last word when it comes to death. The demons, disease, the wind, the rain, and even death bow at his command. And then he says that incredible thing, you know, because they, they wrapped him up in these death clothes, these linens. And, and, and I just wonder if the scene, is it kind of like a mummy? Does he come hopping out? You know. And he says, take the grave clothes off of him. Now, I don't know if they're planning to leave him on him or they're just so shocked. But he makes a point to say, get rid of those grave clothes because they don't have a place anymore. Have a weird image in my head about grave clothes. I've shared this story before. But my grandmother on my father's side was called Granny. And Granny was a character. Oh, I, I love Granny. She, you know, long before you could cut and paste on a computer, 
she was, would make her own cards. I, I never received from Granny a Hallmark or store-bought card in any, any way whatsoever. But I received hundreds and hundreds of cards for every occasion. And she would clip out pictures. She would clip out magazine pictures. And she would make these very elaborate cards. I mean, she was scrapbooking for scrapbooking was a thing. I was blessed to not lose anybody close to me until I was in college. And Granny was the first one that died. And so she lived her life in Kentucky, and so I was in Abilene at the time and jumped the plane and flew there and all that craziness that goes with when you receive the call that a loved one's passed away. And made my way to the viewing, the visitation. So I had not actually seen my grandmother face-to-face in, in months or years. I mean, we had phone calls, but this is before FaceTime. And so I made my way, once I arrived in the, the funeral home, I made my way up, and there was the casket. I'm standing next to my grandmother, and I'm having a moment just a reflective moment, being so grateful that she was my grandmother and remembering all the crazy stories. When another lady approaches me, who I did not know, looks down and says, man, she looks good. I thought, but that's relative, sure. And she just kept going on. That dress so favors her. I was like, the dread, what? Are, finally, I just asked, who, who are you? And she introduced herself, and she apparently was a very close friend of my grandma's that I did not know. And what she revealed to me was that they had a sort of death pack, that whoever died first, the other one would show up at the funeral home and make sure they were buried in the dress that they had already selected. So this was a very special dress that she did not wear any other time except at this moment, because it was her grave clothes. It would have been inappropriate to wear it any other time, according to her. So many of us are still wearing the grave clothes. And we still think death has a claim on us. And Jesus wants to change your fashion. From death to life. And wants you to be clothed in Him. The one that is the resurrection and the life. Death does not have the final word. Jesus does. And so the thing that I want to leave you with this is that death has no claim on you. Jesus does. Now live like it. If you would, stand with me, please. I'm going to pray for us. Heavenly Father, as we come before you right now, as we come as one that has heard the words of death spoken in our ear 
in that voice our entire lives. For those of us that have gone to funeral after funeral, for those of us that are facing a funeral even this week, Father, may we hear the words of Jesus that says he's the resurrection and the life. And allow that claim to be on our lives. And no longer heed the voice of death. Father, may we lean into the one that went to the cross to connect us again into the source of life. May we submit to that claim. Father, I pray for all those that are wrestling with this message right now and wondering, is it too good to be true? How can I hold on to it? That you would do a miraculous work in their lives, Father, and you would send something today that testifies to the truth of this. And that we would learn to hear Jesus' voice. As we trust that there is a day coming when we know beyond a shadow of a doubt that we will rise and death will be no more. It's in the name of Jesus we can boldly say, Amen.